Good morning, everybody. It's so lovely that you get to have these conversations, and what's even better is that you can continue them later over morning tea. <laughs> Was that subtle? Yeah. Not really, all right? Are we all good this morning? Yeah. Great. That's awesome. You know, last weekend, uh, we had our commission course in at La Vida, and then we had the great privilege of hearing from Lorraine on our Sunday morning service, uh, reminding us of that need for, uh, for us to live on mission. Now, it's always such a great challenge to us, and I am so thankful for the work that Lorraine especially has done in the nations, but also in bringing this information to us in a way that we're able to learn from her experience and use what we have learned wherever God takes us. Right. One of the things that those of you that have done the commission course will be aware of is that you find out a lot of facts and figures and statistics on different aspects of mission around the world. Right. There is data on the number of missionaries in different parts of the world on worldwide giving, particularly as it relates to missions, data on unreached and least-reached people groups, and so on. I love this sort of information, and it nearly always leads me to going in search of more information. For instance, unreached people groups. During the course, several are identified, but I mentioned to someone how I'd really like a list so I could get a better understanding or context around who and where these people groups are. This person helpfully mentioned the Joshua Project, so I now know where to go to find out more about this, right. and so do you. <laughs> now, I have to admit that I'm also someone who's fascinated by numbers. I love to analyze statistics and see what patterns and data can tell us. You might be surprised by this, but a number of my years working in the insurance industry was actually working in quality assurance, surrounded by analysts, where numbers were the thing I spent most of my time looking at. During the commission course, it was mentioned that the world population is now a little bit over 8 billion people. So naturally, I then wanted to find out, well, where are they? What are the top most populous countries or countries that have the most people? I was fascinated to discover that Indonesia was number four. And that several of the places our mission partners are working in, Ethiopia, Japan, and Thailand, each made the top 20. South Sudan comes in at number 86, and Laos is just outside the top 100 at 103. And in case you're wondering, we're at number 123, a little bit further down. And then during this week, as I was considering the verses of the Bible that I want to share on, I got to thinking about well-known scripture. What are the most famous verses in the Bible? How do we even define that? As I looked into it, I discovered a study done last year in 2022 by World Vision UK, which looked into what they have called the world's most popular verses, based on Google search data. Looking at the average monthly search volume for 172 countries around the world, they discovered that the most searched for Bible verse, with an average of 2,100,000 searches per month, is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that's a lot of searches, right? Just over 2 million per month. And in fact, the verses that came in with a tie for second place had a more modest 82,000 searches per month each. Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And Philippians 4:13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's probably not too much of a surprise that the world seems to be looking for a saviour, hope, and encouragement or strength. 
Now, interestingly enough, the verses that I've been thinking about that I'm going to share on this morning don't even make this top 100 list. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you can see behind me a graphic, hopefully. There you go, I'm right in front of it. I'll move to the side. A graphic that splits these results up by country. And it's a little bit hard to read. So here are some results that you may find interesting. In New Zealand, John 3.16 didn't feature until number eight on the list. Our most searched for verse was Jeremiah 29.11, followed by Isaiah 41.10, Joshua 1.9, Isaiah 40.31, John 16.33, John 10.10, and Genesis 1.27. I'm not going to leave you hanging on those, don't worry. It appears we want hope, to not fear, to be lifted up, to be strong and courageous, to have peace, an abundant life, and a clear identity, all ahead of an eternal life with a saviour. What about around the world? If you hear your country, you're allowed to cheer, okay? Well, the UK, United States, Australia, France, India, and Nigeria were all some of the many countries who have John 3.16 at the top of their searches. South Africa, along with Japan, join us with Jeremiah 29.11. Jamaica has Philippians 4.13, and Colombia and Mexico have Genesis 1.27. <laughs> Thailand and Mozambique were similar, with a three- or four-way tie between the verses already mentioned from Jeremiah, Isaiah, Joshua, and John 16. Laos was the only country to have Hebrews 4.15 at the top, which if you don't recognize that one, is the verse that talks about Jesus, our high priest, facing the temptations that we all face, yet without sin. Now, if I've missed your country, or you're curious about any of the countries I've not mentioned, you can find this information on the UK World Vision website. Maybe you don't care about it quite so much as I do, but I found it fascinating. And I know some of you have probably glazed over with all these numbers I've mentioned, just a little. But if you could just bear with me a little longer, you'll see my point. You see, I mentioned that the verses I wanted to share didn't even make this top 100 list for any country, let alone the world. Yet, if I was to start reading them, I am sure that the majority of this room would be able to join in with me without looking them up. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're all pretty familiar with these verses, right? Are you surprised that they didn't make the top 100 searched for list? Because I was. In fact, there was another top 100 list that I found on Bible Gateway. And this list is of the most read Bible verses in 2022. These six verses from Psalm 23 take out the number 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 12 spots on the most read list. Now, all of these numbers don't take into account places where internet access is severely restricted, if they have it at all. 
and don't include, include searches or reading of actual printed Bibles, because we know they still exist all around the place, right? Perhaps the 23rd Psalm is not searched for as it is more well-known or familiar to people, without them needing to look it up. Perhaps it is most read because of its popularity for weddings, funerals, and other formal occasions. It has inspired music from Bach to Pink Floyd to U2 and even Kanye West. It has appeared in films such as Titanic and The War Horse. It is a verse that is recognized even within pop culture. But what I do know is that within this psalm, it addresses nearly every concern that the search results from World Vision seem to suggest people are concerned with, whether we look at the worldwide results or those from here in New Zealand, which is what I'm going to focus on today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now we could spend a lot of time just looking at this first verse. David knew what it was to be a shepherd, to look after his sheep, to make sure that they were rested, had access to food, to water, and to shelter, and to protect them from wild animals and the elements of nature. It's not surprising that he uses this imagery to talk about a God who cares for us deeply and desires the best for us. But this verse also points to a saviour, to Jesus, who himself said in John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down, lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus then continued on to talk about how his sheep know him in verse 14. They have a place of belonging with him. And in verse 16, that there are other sheep that do not yet know him. He wasn't just a shepherd for the Jews, the chosen people of God, but the Gentiles who also had a place with him. Now, this section of John wasn't in any of our lists, but it does follow on directly from one that is. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The key to an abundant life, life in all the fullness that God intended, is tied up with knowing the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or some translations say, I have everything I need or I lack nothing. Our desire for an abundant life should never be about riches or wealth or possessions, but about knowing our shepherd who is responsible for our care, our provision, and our protection. I know that he will take care of what I need. David is also intentional in his choice of words here. The Lord, Yahweh, reminds us that he is a covenant-keeping God and again points to the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jesus. Not only that, but David uses the word my. The Lord is my shepherd. This isn't an accident of translation, but an intentional choice of words to remind Israel, who often defaulted to the word to the word our, that God is not just a God of Israel, distant, a nation that he was over, but of each of them and of us as individuals. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Green pastures were typically seasonal in the desert, only around in winter and spring. Outside of these seasons, the shepherd had to lead their sheep from place to place in search of food and to find places for them to graze and to rest. This verse reminds me, reminds us, that although green pastures are seasonal, God promises that he is not. He is steadfast and faithful. His intention for us is to rest in him, not to strive to find the best in our own strength 
The still or quiet waters can also be translated waters of rest. The sheep can safely drink without being rushed. Another of our search for verses links in with this idea. And it's Isaiah 40, 31, which tells us, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We're not supposed to try and do it all in our own strength, but to trust in Him. As we rely on the Holy Spirit, He will lead us to places of restoration and strengthening. It is His job to restore us. We need only to stop and allow Him to do so, for He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Have you ever seen sheep blindly chasing after each other without any idea of where they're supposed to be or how to get out of the place they've found themselves in? I can imagine if quite a few of you have. Well, last year we were in Methven for a couple of days and had gone for a walk along one of the waterways. There were a bunch of sheep that were moving themselves along and one had managed to slip down. There was this bit. The drop was probably like this sort of big from the path down to the the water and had managed to slip and was stuck in this tiny little sandy patch right by the edge of the water. Now, these were not still waters. They were quite swiftly moving ones, so the sheep was actually in a fair bit of danger. And he looked to be fairly young still. And what we presumed was his mother was at the top, looking down, bleating, which I decided must mean, what are you doing down there? How did you get down there? How are you going to get back up? There was no way that that sheep was going to get back up by itself because it was basically a sheer slidey bit. There was, it just was not going to happen. So we did let the farmer know, in case you were worrying, wondering and worried about this poor sheep. And they were going to go and sort it out. But it's the shepherd's job to guide the sheep on the right paths. Right. He leads us and guides us and knows the safest paths for us to take. Yeah. We don't want to slip and get stuck down where we can't get out. So we need to allow him to guide us where he wants us to be. In the parable of the lost sheep, which you can read about in Luke 15 and Matthew 18, Jesus tells of a shepherd who cares enough for the one sheep that has wandered off that he will leave the rest of the flock, in this case 99 other sheep, in a safe place so that he can return the wanderer back to the right path, the place where he is able to guide it, lead it, and keep it safe. Not only is this a picture of our saviour, but also a reminder that we need the shepherd as our guide. In my example of the stuck sheep in Methven, the sheep had been left to find their own way or to graze on their own and got into trouble. Now, I'm not judging the farmer here. Things are done differently now. We have more structure in our farms, we've got fencing, and we've got less wild animals. There is no need for a farmer to camp out with his sheep 24-7. We also perhaps don't place the same value on individual sheep when we have so many. But in biblical times, every single sheep was valuable. A shepherd who leads and guides his sheep implies he is always with his sheep. You cannot protect your sheep, let alone lead them, if you aren't with them. This reminds me of another of our most popular search for verses. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He promises he will be with us no matter what. And his promise, it actually says he is bound by his name to do so. That is what it means by for his namesake. 
Now, we can choose to go off on our own, but ultimately, his desire is for us to be in relationship with him. And when he is with us, we do not need to be afraid or discouraged. Even as we continue to read in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the valley was a place of danger for the shepherd. The darkness and the shadows meant that they couldn't always see where danger lay in wait. The sheep, however, trust in the shepherd to get them through the valley to safety. The rod speaks to defending from the attacks of the enemy, the animals that would like to make the sheep their lunge. The staff speaks to the shepherd gently, or perhaps not so gently, pulling the sheep out of danger and back into line. We will all find ourselves in times where there is darkness. It could be sickness. It could be grief. It could be broken relationships or any number of things. It can be of the enemy's making or a result of our own actions or simply because we live in a fallen world. In any circumstance, he promises to comfort us. We do not need to fear because of that central verse, you are with me. And in fact, in the original Hebrew, These words are the exact center of the psalm. There is the same number of words in the first half of the psalm, before that phrase, and in the second. He does not abandon us at our time of need. He can fight for us. He can redirect us if we need it. And who knows that sometimes we need it. Just this week, Dave and I were able to watch a remake of The Hiding Place, which some of you will know is the story of Corrie ten Boom. Many of you know that she was imprisoned in a concentration camp in World War II due to her actions in hiding Jews uh, during the Holocaust. Her family actually enabled about 800 Jews to get to safety. Now, her story is one of a lot of valleys, but also a trust in God no matter what, of someone who shared about God in the camps and then even long after the war ended, and the power of forgiveness in us and for us. One of her famous quotes is when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. In the valley, we can trust in him. Isaiah 41.10 tells us, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Philippians 4.13, Paul reminds us that having learnt what it is to be content in all circumstances, whether in need or in plenty, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God has invited us to sit and eat at his table. We are his honoured guest. The anointing of a guest's head with oil before a feast was how the host indicated that place of honour. He wants us to sit in his presence and enjoy a meal. It's not a drive through It's not takeaways either. And he hasn't invited us to a table to dine alone. We are at the table with him. The enemy can see us, and this exposes him to the truth of whose we are. The table is a place where we have authority, It's also a place of peace. We sit in the presence of the Prince of Peace. That's a lot of peace in that sentence. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God has given us a place at his table. We are in the place of honor, where we do not have to listen to the lies of the enemy. We trust in God to provide, and because of the work of the cross, we have authority not only to sit at the table, but to keep the enemy out. He doesn't get an invitation. Could you imagine sitting there, eating and drinking of all of God's richest provision, and saying to the enemy, you have no power here. I belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every other name. He has personally invited me into his presence, into relationship with him. We should not take this for granted. Stop, sit, eat, dwell in the presence of God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David finishes the psalm by reminding us of the hope and future we have with God. Goodness and mercy doesn't just doddle along after us, but it actually chases us down. When we sing that song, your goodness is running after me, it's not just a pretty piece of poetry. What is it with peas today? Pretty piece of poetry. But a picture of how Jesus pursues us. (laughs) Didn't even realize I'd done that. Because God loves us so much, because he is a God who does not break his promises, his covenant with us, he has made a way for us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the promise of salvation, that we would continue to return to the house of the Lord. He has made it possible for us to experience his goodness, his mercy, all the days of our lives. When we see that John 3.16 is the most searched for verse worldwide, we see a world that is desperate to know this love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When we see that the world is searching for a hope and a future in the promise of Jeremiah 29.11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We know, because we know the shepherd, that he has already made a way for this. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the answer for any situation that we face. He is the answer for any concern the world has. Team, I'd just like to invite you to come back. The world is looking for hope, belonging, identity, safety, provision, peace, purpose, and all we really need is a shepherd. Why don't you stand if you are able? And I'm going to read the psalm from the beginning to end. And what I'd love for you to do is if you've got any need, any situation that you want to just lay before God, I just encourage you, we'll close our eyes. You can maybe raise your hands in an act of surrender. And it doesn't even matter what situation it is. I am sure that one of these verses can speak to it. And I'd love to read this psalm over you. The Lord, covenant God, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we've looked at this psalm, this beautiful piece of scripture that reminds us of how you are our shepherd, help us never take this for granted. Let it never be a verse that just rolls off our tongue without any meaning, but God, we just ask that you would take every single word and imprint it upon our hearts. Bring it to our minds when we need it, Lord God. That reminder that you care for us so deeply, that you are with us no matter what. Lord, for those in this room that need that promise of rest, of restoration and of strength, God, we commit them to you now. Lord, let your Holy Spirit minister to them, refresh them, fall upon them again. Fill them up to overflowing. For those who are in the valley, where they are surrounded by darkness on every side, Lord, illuminate the way for them. Show them the clear path. Lord, we pray for clarity in every situation, but also for comfort where they can't see the end of the tunnel, help them to trust in the engineer. For those who need guidance, who just need a little bit of help knowing what the next step is, God, I pray that you would speak to them even now in their situation, that you would remind them that they are dearly loved, that you are with them, that you go before them and you make their paths straight. For those who need the authority of Jesus, Lord, we speak Jesus' name over every situation, over every relationship, over every area where darkness is threatening, over every area of contention, of brokenness, of disunity. We speak the name of Jesus. Where there is sickness, we speak Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. And for those who simply just need to know more of the presence of God. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that we know is with us. Remind us daily that you are with us. Your presence is promised for the rest of our lives and through to eternity. Be with us, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to minister to every situation, even those that I've not mentioned. You know our hearts. You know what it is that we face. And you know, you know what the promise of the cross means because you bore that price for us. Thank you, Lord, for your victory. Thank you, Lord, that as Dave prayed earlier, the veil was torn. We have access to you. Lord Jesus, our Savior, our promise keeper, our way maker. Thank you, Lord. Amen.